Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to To The Point Podcast. This is another special episode where you get to hear from my co-host, Eric Trexler, and me, Rachel Lyon. Eric, this is exciting. It is. I was about to chime in with, and my co-host, Rachel Lyon. I love this. (laughs) I know. Why haven't we done this sooner? It's crazy. Uh, you know, life life consumes things and you get busy and you forget to just chat amongst each other. I think in COVID, sometimes we forget, like even with friends and acquaintances and everybody else, take some downtime and just talk to people. I love that. But well, kind of, we've had a common theme on that point too, right? Mindfulness, right? Taking the time, being in the moment. I like that. I'm glad we're doing that today. It's about mindfulness, time. but it, but it is a cybersecurity podcast and we've got a couple of topics we were going to hit. Yes. Yes. What's on the plate? Well, okay, so let's talk about ripped from the headlines. I was reading this fantastic article in Tech Republic, and they were saying that cybersecurity spending is going to hit $150 billion this year. And, and just for context, Eric, just even $100 billion, $1 bills laid end-to-end measures 9,690 miles or this would extend around the earth 387 times. I was, I was going to say, I, I, I need a visualization there because 9 million and so many miles. I mean, I think that's I about halfway to the moon, but I'm not sure. Or you could say 100 billion is like uh, one third the size of the state of Rhode Island. If you were to put all of these uh, bills end to end. I mean, it's it's significant. Not the length of Rhode Island, meaning we could stuff Rhode Island or? Yeah, it was, um, those are square miles. So it'd be 400 square miles uh, if we're doing the Rhode Island example. Okay, so the moon is 238,900 miles. Couldn't tell you on the kilometers. It's more in kilometers for the Europeans and the metric oriented people. Yes. Okay, so we're not quite a a tenth of the way to the moon with those dollar bills. Not quite, but. but. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money and it's a 12% increase, which is, or sorry, 12.4% increase from last year, which is crazy, you know. How much but again? It's 150 12- million, according to Gartner? Billion, 150.4 billion this oh, year. Oh, billion, yes, I forgot, B, not M. So yeah. I don't know if you remember the podcast when we had Katie Arrington on, um, but both she and, and General Alexander, who used to be the four-star running NSA, who's now the CEO of IronNet, have, have stated that the U.S. is losing up to, and it's probably more now if the data was right, $600 billion a year in intellectual property due to cybersecurity theft, which is actually four to, approximately four times what we're spending. Right. That's crazy. That's like- That is crazy. But- four Rhode Islands. That's almost a Connecticut maybe. <laughs> Can I tell you something else that what surprised me about this article is that cloud security last year was the lowest spend. Um, and this year it's again, trending it's still as the, the lowest. lowest spent. It's kind of remarkable. 
um, that all we did was talk about cloud last year, right? Digital transformation, accelerating your digital transformation in the cloud. Um, but then you see the spending here relative to everything else. And it's, I mean, it's the smallest by quite a sizable measure. <laughs> yeah, we should we should link to the Tech Republic article in the show notes. Absolutely. When, when you actually, I'm not going to read the, the, the sheet of 10 or so segments in the market for security, but when you look at it and you see... Security services are going to be $73 million, uh, uh, billion dollars, excuse me. No, $73 yeah, billion dollars in 2021. And cloud security is going to be $841 million. You're like, whoa. That's it's a huge gap. Yes. Huge gap. 90 some times. Yes. Right? For security services. Those are people doing the work where cloud security is so small I think what that says, Rachel, is it reinforces all the discussions we've had on this podcast over time. People are moving to the cloud, but they're leaving security behind. Right? Well, it's, it's easy in, to sign up. Exactly. What and I think what a lot of people don't realize too, you know, security after the fact, you know, is not not a bueno way to go forward. Um, you know, it, it gets more expensive when you when you go after the fact. And you know, I don't know that people always think about that. They just want to keep moving and be productive. 100%, but there shouldn't have to be a trade-off. You know, you should be able to be, have airtight security and, you know, kind of move at the speed of digital transformation. The good news is there's about $24 million estimated in 21, once again, by Gartner, uh, which is a May study. So it's very, very up to date. Yes. There's about 20, $24 million in infrastructure protection. Mm -hmm. As we move to the cloud, you could theoretically do a one for one or maybe even get some cost advantages there and take some of the spending that you were spending on your data centers, your infrastructure, mm -hmm. right. and move it to the cloud. Although I'm going to assume infrastructure protection somewhat gets blended in with the line a couple below it, network security equipment, firewalls, IPSs, and the like. Right. I mean, I put that in there. If, if you put that in there, you've got $40, million, $40 billion, excuse me, I'm back on wow. the big D. $40 billion of protecting your, your castle walls, if you will. Wow. When the adversary is always getting inside. That is crazy. Crazy. I I have to believe, I mean, I, it's great to see the spending, right? It's great to see cybersecurity being prioritized now, um, you know, but I, I would imagine, you know, there, there's so much to do. Um, folks, it would be daunting tasks, I think, right? I mean, because you're, you're kind of just buying things to do one, one thing at a time, um, versus, you know, how do you get to a more kind of holistic strategy so you don't have, you know, 50, 60, 70 of these different security products in your stack uh, that you have to manage and they have to kind of make this loose fabric, integrated fabric of, of potential vulnerabilities because they're not necessarily built to work together. Yeah, if, if, if I were a CISO of an organization, I think I would take this report, you can get it from Gartner, and I would download it and look at the different market segments, the categories. Mm -hmm. And I would look at my organization and say, hey, am I in alignment with this? Is, is this my picture or not? Yes. And then I'd probably take a step back and say, where are we going in the future? Where should I be thinking? Cloud security, obviously a big one. 41% uh, growth, also the largest growth number, but it's coming from a small base. And then I'd right. look at like app security, data security. The one that really got me, I got to tell you, was was identity access management. 
It's only $14 billion this year with a 15% growth rate. I figured with Zero Trust coming on strong, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the episode here with the cyber executive order and everything. I mean, you would think that identity and access management would be a larger piece of the pie. I feel like that's all we talked about the last year too, no? Well, and if you don't know who your users are, how do you figure out who's doing what and what to protect? Well, exactly. And, you know, the other thing I think about too, kind of keeps me up at night is, you know, when you've had to hire virtually the last year, um, you know, you're not meeting people in person. I think, you know, we're just starting to have, you know, kind of uh, socially distanced in-person meetings again. But, you know, how do you know the people you hired are really really who they say they are. And I, I and wonder- what the, And what they're doing, yeah. Exactly. And in the, in the years ahead, are we going to see you know a ramp up in intellectual property theft? As a result, I saw that article about the, um, the FBI agent who had been bringing the, the confidential documents home for like oh, uh, 17 yes. years or something like that, a very Out long time. Out in Kansas time. City. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that just broke too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's scary. So, but the other piece, and I know we want to stay optimistic here, Consumer security software, the lowest growth rate at 7.4%. We're talking only $7 billion there, right? So those are people who are working from home where the industry is spending money to protect the consumer at home. Those are your Nest right. your, your Nest uh, thermostats, your IoT devices, everything that's being connected. We're proportionally spending a lot less money to protect the user at home, yes. but they're probably connecting to work networks from home with some of the same devices, I'm betting. Exactly, like your smartphone hotspot from the car, uh, you know. But uh, I, I will just uh, say a funny, I've been staying at my grandmother's house in Houston and uh, somebody has the Wi-Fi name FBI surveillance fan. <laughs> oh yeah, I've seen those a bunch. Yeah, there's always humor here. Always humor. Always humor. Oh. But uh, I think you had uh, another topic that you wanted to dig into. Yes. Well, it, actually, it came from you. You sent a report, a CBS News report, about yes. 465,000 open positions in cybersecurity nationwide in May 2021, according to CyberSeek. Can I tell you, Eric, I think it was that same number back in 2017 when I was um, started working at Forcepoint. Um, no, it was lower. It was in the 300s. Was it? Okay. Yeah, I remember. I, I actually, I periodically go to CyberSeek. The number is growing. Right. Which is Which means the opportunities me. are growing. So many opportunities. Okay, so here's here's what I saw though. And I, I, did, I don't know how people aren't grabbing onto this. So you could take an eight-week online course um, and you could get, you know, a, an entry-level job as a pen tester, uh, a network security engineer or an incident response analyst. And these jobs pay up to $90,000 a year for an eight-week online course. I think, how could you not give that a run for its money? I, you know, if you're kind of hedging on what you want to do, you're coming out of college, you're not sure. I mean, that's a pretty nice salary. And it's a hot industry that's, you know, going to only getting bigger. That's I, a I don't understand salary. why people aren't jumping jumping at the chance to come over to cyber. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, you're you're never wanting for things to do. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think they don't know it. They don't understand. I, I was talking to uh, some contractors at the DHS level a couple years ago, and I was talking about my now 23 year old son who's probably 19. He, he was at college in college at the time. 
And they were like, have him drop out. You know, he'll, he'll get 60 grand to start with us. I'm like, he, he, no experience here, guys. Right. He doesn't need experience. We'll teach him everything. He just yep. needs to be able to get a clearance and want to work. And, and he'll move up through the stack incredibly quickly. Wow. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. There's a 19-year-old kid right out of school, you know, That's one compelling. year of college. at the t- He was in co- his first year of college at the wow. time. And the, the jobs are incredible. This is a classic supply and demand problem. Exactly. Right? Exactly. I mean, we don't have enough people. We don't have the right people. We're willing to pay and train. And I think exactly. that is a good news story because we do need more diversity. We do need more people. Yes. I, uh, I, I did link because I wanted to go and look at what is the, the, um, the, the geographical placement of these jobs. All you have to do is go mm-hmm. to cyberseek.org. Um, you can get to it from there, but just look up the heat map. And what you'll see is California, Texas, Florida, North Carolina, Virginia, Maryland, Delaware, and New York State are the wow. are the huge ones that have the most openings. There's wow. a ton in the Northeast, and then you start looking at the mid middle parts of the country. You know, taking Texas out of it, and there aren't a lot of opportunities. There are there proportionately, of course, there right. are thousands. Right. There's still thousands or tens of thousands open right now, but you, you see it in the middle of the country where it's where it's not as uh, in demand. I wonder right. how that changes over time as we look at work from home becoming a, a thing, right? As we look at the opportunity for employee, we can't get these employees. Right. I would open these positions up, let them work remote, offer to Absolutely. move them if you need to. Absolutely. They're clearly on the map where the jobs are, but it's 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 an interesting it's it's an interesting uh, arrangement. And if you go to public sector data, so it's a chart you get to play with. It's a pretty similar picture. There's a little bit in Colorado and Georgia that's different from the from the uh, you know global map, and it mm-hmm. says they're only only right. It says there are only thirty six thousand two hundred and forty eight openings right now in the public sector space at the national level. Uh huh. That's but it also lot. says there are only there are only sixty one thousand people employed today, which I. I, I think I've talked to probably half of those, right? <laughs> it's got to be a larger number, but we have a problem. Well, sure. And then, you know, you look at 31,000 uh, openings and those pretty important roles <laughs> for, for protecting, you know, our, our, our nation's critical data. Cybersecurity uh, consultants, yes. technicians, analysts, IT specialists and engineers, systems engineers, software developers, network mm-hmm. engineers, incident analysts, cybersecurity managers. So the jobs pay well. A yes. little bit of education to get started. You get a lot of OJT. You can take continuing education while you're in. Yes. And uh, we don't have enough people. I know. Great, I great I- opportunity. Well, why is that? I mean, do you think it's, I know there's been a lot of advances, you know, with STEM education and, you know, building awareness there. Do you think it's just, they're not hearing about it still and when, when they're young or, you know, you're not playing on the playground thinking, ah, I want to be a cybersecurity engineer, eh, you know, or an astronaut or a vet, you know, it's, are they just not getting that kind of exposure? I, I think there's a generational component. If you go back yeah. What's, what's the prior generation? 20, 20 year gap typically? 
think from so. generation to generation in the yes. 20, 20, right. 25 years, mm-hmm. go back 20 years and think about the chatter we had with cybersecurity, right? We really weren't talking about it. <laughs> no, We've been all. talking yeah. about it, but, but you, you know, the kids, I mean, I, I've, I've got a doctor, I've got another kid trying to figure it out. And I've got a 13 year old who loves math and science, but he doesn't know what he wants to do. He just doesn't right. want to do what dad does. Right. But we just started talking about it with my mm-hmm. doctor, who's 27 now. He's a military officer. I, I was in the business. I was in IT. I was in cyber when he was in high school and, and, and mm-hmm. trying to figure out where he wanted to go. But we didn't talk about it. It wasn't in the news. You weren't right. dealing with it. Where my 13-year-old, I mean, he, he's learning C++ right now so he can do a Valorant cheat. Wow. Right. And, and, and he's all over it, right? It's just a different, I <laughs> right, mean, there's a right. generational difference between just those two kids. So I think we're going to see it coming along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been doing government cybersecurity for quite a while now. And one of the things I've seen is the senior leaders on the civilian side, on the DOD side, they didn't grow up in this space necessarily. Right, right. Right, if you're an army yeah. general, and I want to talk about that, but you know, your goal was to command an infantry division or right. something like that. And, and you came up through those ranks. If you're in cyber now, you may have come up typically through communications or something mm-hmm. else. But there was a good article. I'm going to transition us quickly, if you don't mind, in Defense no, this One this week. Yes. Army generals are not prepared for the future. I mean, talk about wow. clickbait. Talk about an inflammatory yes. title. yes. But I think there's something to it, and I'm going to ext- mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to extract out the army component okay. for a minute, and and let's look at government leaders. Okay, aren't sure. necessarily prepared for the future, right? So the article talks about it's a Harvard Business Review study from 2018. More of the top 100 CEOs, so this is non-government CEOs, mm-hmm. have engineering degrees than MBAs. Wow. So more technical than business right. oriented. There's a Boston Consulting Group top 20, 20, 2020 um, list in there where in the top 20 most innovative private sector companies, roughly 65% have STEM undergraduate degrees. 30%, almost a third, have graduate level STEM degrees. Wow, wow. Right? So having that technical, that STEM background according to a couple of data sources here, really sure. pays off in the in the commercial world, private sector. Right. So then they looked at army generals and, and we're just using army. I guarantee the same thing's probably yeah. close for Air Force, Navy, Marine exactly. Corps, other government functions. And the point is get technical degrees, get higher levels of education, yes. get that foundational component, as you say. Of the current active duty army generals, 32% have undergraduate STEM degrees. Right. So of the top 20 most innovative companies, 65 percent have STEM undergraduate degrees Mm -hmm. in the Army. Current active duty, 32 percent or about half. Oh, wow. So it's about half the rate of the most Mm -hmm. innovative companies. And only 11 percent have STEM degrees, which is about a third. I'm I'm sorry, STEM graduate degrees, which is Mm -hmm. about a third of what the most innovative companies have. Right. And, And then they break it down. And I don't want to read the article on the air here, but. When they look at Army Futures Command, 15 of the generals associated with it, only five have STEM undergraduate degrees and none have STEM graduate degrees. So you're wow. looking at Army Futures Command. This is where the Army is learning to fight for the future. 
And we only have a third of the officer, the general officers there, right. the leaders, having a technical degree. So I don't know what their degrees are in history, right. psychology, you know, agriculture, military science. I, you know, it doesn't really talk about it. Um, but they, they finally look into other technical fields like missile defense, test and evaluation, intelligence, aviation, nuclear. And they're saying there only 7% of these generals have STEM degrees. And only 10% of the generals in cyber, probably the most our Army's most technical field, have STEM degrees wow. at the graduate level. Right. So I, I do think there is an education component here. Yes. And you almost need to make it, when we're looking at these jobs, you need to make this your career. Yes. It was an interesting yes. article, not to, not to pick on the, the U.S. Army or anything, just, but yeah, know, the, at the end of it, they talk about... They talk about the Chinese uh, People's Liberation Army and how they've really, really invested in STEM. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something we need to do as we look at quantum and 5G. Yes. You, you've got to, you and I were talking earlier, you've got to have that technical basis of understanding, that background. Yes. Or it's very difficult, says the guy with the marketing undergrad, by the way. It's very <laughs> difficult to understand where you know you need to go and understand what your technical people sure. are telling you. Yeah. By the but way, I was a systems knowledge. engineer, so yeah. I, I was a DBA, <laughs> a performance and tuning person. I've got some creds out there, um, but I did go for marketing. But it's a bachelor's that's of science at least, so I don't know. Maybe that's technical, maybe it's not. I don't think it's STEM. And then I've got the MBA, which discredits me, I guess, here. Uh, puts me on the wrong side of that equation. They but I think there's something out. there. You know, as, as we're, yeah. we're looking at the job openings, we've got a huge market potential here. Yes. We've got a huge problem, which isn't going away. Nope. It's just getting worse. Talk about job security. Right. I mean, I, I remember my father-in-law, I, I think I was 19. I was, I was an infantryman in the army, you know, a ranger doing my thing. I was just blowing stuff up and running fast. And I mean, I wasn't thinking about anything. And, and I knew I was going to go to college though. Right. And his guidance to me, because he had been laid off a number of times in his life, mm -hmm. he, he had been a, an industrial surveyor and he would go through these periods of riches and then, and then just, just paltry, right. like there was no work. Mm -hmm. And he said, stay in the military. It's a guaranteed job. You'll be good for life. I didn't want to be an infantryman for 20 years. It's a hard gig. Sure. And I knew I wanted to go into business, but I think the guidance in cyber, in InfoSec. Yes. It's basically a job guaranteed for life, whether you go private or public sector. Exactly. It pays a lot more than infantry. Mm -hmm. You're not freezing, cold, hungry, miserable, wet, tired, you name it. And uh, there's, there's amazing, I mean, I, I don't see this ending for a long time. So optimism no. session maybe here, Rachel. I don't know what you think, but. No, it's, I think it's exciting good advice. too. You know, I, and, and I'm encouraged when you talk about your, your younger son. Um, you know, and I think them seeing all the headlines of everything going on in cyber and, um, you know, we're all kind of looking for some kind of answer or, you know, kind of that rainbow through the clouds, uh, you know, to kind of help us get ahead of the threat. And I think that's what's going to it's going to take these kids that grow up where they're already thinking about these things inherently. I think that's how you can get ahead of the threat eventually. Um, so that's really encouraging. I, I hope so. I mean, I, I was not a programmer, but I bought a Commodore 128 because it was twice as good as the Commodore 64s, which were really popular when I was like, yes. I don't know. It was a long time ago. I was probably 12, 13. Mm -hmm. 
And from that time, I had my own computer. And then I started building x86 computers and everything else. But that kind of, that, that technical underpinning, even though I don't have a STEM degree, just marketing and an MBA, <laughs> it led me to, first of all, my mom said, you, you will be a salesperson, which I resisted. But then I collapsed and fell into sales. And I love it because I love talking to customers. But I, I think that technical underpinning kind of led me to use that skill set. Absolutely. And I- I bring this up because I was rel a relatively small subset back in my day, but I think the kids today are very technical. I've yes. seen it across my three. The younger one is so much more technical than the other two mm -hmm. because he started younger and he's comfortable there and he likes it there. Yes. And I think he's going to be more inclined to look at rocket science or cybersecurity right. or, or cloud computing or something at a minimum, let's say he goes and gets a marketing degree and he moves into marketing. He will be more technical savvy than his brothers because he started early and he's very yep. comfortable there. Exactly. And I think that'll help us in the long term. I agree. I agree. That's what I'm saying. I think this generation coming up, I'm excited to see what, what they bring, uh, bring to bear. Uh, I think it will be a good thing. I, I really do. We need it. We need some, we need some good stuff. That's for so sure. we had an executive order come out. We won't spend a whole lot of time on that, but you know, yes. they, they, they put out a whole bunch of mandates within 30, 45 or 60 days. Yes. We're going to see the entire U.S. government change, their supply chain considerations mm -hmm. there. Hopefully the government can drive. They're, they're a relatively large purchaser of IT equipment yes. and, and, and technologies. And, and it's not just that actually. You know, if, if you're a lawn mowing company contracting with the government, theoretically, you have to look at how you're, you know, there, there's going to be some components um, in the supply chain there and, and, and yes. FAR requirements. So hopefully the government's moving the needle a little bit here. And then the last thing I wanted to talk to you is something, talk to you about is something you're very good with, you're familiar with is RSA. The conference happened last week. Did, <laughs> did anybody notice? I, you know, it, that's a great question, Eric. It was an all virtual conference, um, you know, so not just anybody could go. You, you know, just like years past, you had to have an RSA pass to to you know access any of the sessions. It had to be like I mean, a you had to pay for it. Yeah, you'd either so, have someone give it to you. It wasn't free. No, and I only had a sponsor pass, which meant I couldn't even watch our sponsor sessions. <laughs> Really? Okay. Yeah. I always um, knew RSA. RSA to me was always the show, you know, going back even a decade where you went and it was a vendor show. You saw what the themes and technologies right. were and you got to meet all your friends who hopped around from job to job to job all the time. Yes. yes. And you hadn't seen in a while and connect. Hey, how's it going? What are you working on? Oh, I'm working networking, on yes. sandboxing or network security, you know, whatever cloud security this year, the, the big themes. And you got to connect. There, there weren't as many customers there as most people would think. No, so I, no. I mean, the virtual booths, it was very little traffic, unfortunately. This year. Yes. But you couldn't um, even connect. If it was a, a show for the vendors to see people and recruit and meet people, you couldn't even really connect with people. Exactly. Exactly. It, it made it very, very difficult. Um, you know, but, but what is that platform to do that today? you know, to, that would enable that kind of, you know, kind know of personal interaction. Yeah. LinkedIn. I mean, it's, yeah. I, I mean, I'm seeing it more go there, but, but you, you would spend in a traditional year, how much time would you spend leading up to see it to RSA to make sure that everything is perfect? Oh, hundreds of hours. <laughs> I mean, you literally would spend hundreds of hours prepping for, I mean, you, you yes. led 
you led the Force Point RSA charge. We did a podcast on it last year. Yes, yes. If anybody wants to listen to what Rachel did at a typical RSA, <laughs> I don't know the number, but go back about a year to, I, I'd say March. March, yes, early March. Well, it was March because COVID was kicking off and we didn't yes. know. March of 2020, and, and you can hear Rachel Lyon being ambushed by myself <laughs> on the podcast on, on what a day in the life of setting up for and dealing with RSA is like. How many hours this year? Uh, a lot less, you know, I, I spent most of my time, you know, putting together our sponsor sessions and our keynote. We had an amazing keynote with our CEO, Manny Ravello, which people Only can session view. I watched. Yes, they can watch it on our YouTube channel, Force Point uh, YouTube channel. It's available. Uh, that was a really great conversation with uh, journalist uh, Georgie Barrett. So uh, highly recommend that. But yeah, it was it was hard. I mean, there was some, um, we had a, an accepted talk that I wasn't able to watch with my sponsor pass unfortunately. Um, you know, so it's, we're trying to figure out how do we make these videos, um, available after RSA. And so I think they have to sit on the RSA platform for 60 days and then we may be able to get, get access to them. Uh, so folks can, you know, broader audience can see it. So it's, you know, it's, it's something though. I mean, at least we'll, we'll get a replay, but, um, yeah, as as virtual conferences go, it it just wasn't not where you want to be for the virtual booth, at least this year, for sure. Um, yeah, I think people are just exhausted with the virtual everything. Like you just want a little physical. I, I don't know. I, I had several friends who were speaking and I couldn't watch them. They were like, hey, come to my come to my keynote, come to my to, to yeah. my talk. And I couldn't get in. Yep. I know. It's that was disappointing because when they're virtual, you feel like almost everybody should have a chance to to watch it should be free, right? Kind of like a missed opportunity. Yes, exactly. Cause we've already paid our sponsor dollars. So, you know, the, the money's been paid. So why not open it up to a broader audience? And, you know, I think that gets to your, you know, we're talking about the cyber skills and, and jobs opening. I mean, imagine if you had all this, all these great cyber thought leaders were at RSA having these amazing talks. And if you open those up to the public, I mean, just imagine all the That's people. That's a great idea you know, that could spark ideas for them or inspire them or, you know, kind of uh, they find cyber through through those videos. Because, I mean, the lineup they had just on the keynotes alone um, was was really remarkable. And um, but, you know, it's 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 not how it is, at least right now. (laughs) I'll be interested to see the numbers. What do you think for next year? I mean, we're back in person, I'm assuming. Yes. Yes. We're going to tens of, 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 you know, tens of thousands of people there, or did they, the two, the, the gap year here, does it hurt it? Well, you know, the interesting thing is, I mean, not to get overly on the contract side, but, um, all of the sponsors, uh, basically re-upped for next year for the physical show, right? Since we weren't able to do a physical, uh, event this year. So all the brands are going to be there, like lots and lots and lots of companies like they are every year. Uh, so I think people are going to want to go back. They want to be in person. So, so no, I, I no data on whether event. people will go or not, but, but the sponsors not have yet. already signed up. So they're going. Well, you have to, RSA asked you to sign up, re-up for the next a year, year in advance, before. right? Yep, yeah. Exactly. So everybody's signing up, of course, because you don't want to be left out of RSA. So you hear, heard it here first, everyone. RSA <laughs> next year, it's in person. According to Rachel Lyon, it's going to be bigger and bigger than ever. All the sponsors are going. Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't want to miss it. And so you do think people will want to get just, back out? 
aren't you? I mean, I'm, I'm itching to get back out and, and travel again and have meetings and, you know, as more and more folks get vaccinated. Oh, absolutely. I'm excited. I'm excited for that. And I think people are hungry for that. Um, so I'm hopeful that next year, I think it's uh, what February show is when it's happening. I don't have the dates, but I, I guess I should put them on the calendar because I think I'll be there. I think it's a week after our sales kickoff. Okay, so next year in February, we've got RSA back at the Moscone Center. Rachel's announced it on their behalf. That's right. That's right. In it's going to be big. Get ready. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see if, if people actually tuned in or if they tuned out. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. But I think to your point, right, everyone's a little zoomed, zoomed out, but you oh, know, they're having, exhausted. having, you know, the content available to watch when you want to watch it and making it public. I think there's, uh, there's a case to be made for that for sure. So agreed, um, but do we'll people have the, do people have the time, the patience and the ability to sit down? I know I, I don't and, and watch with something 15 minutes. Do you not have 15 minutes to watch a keynote? I mean, oh. Man, I thought you'd know me better than that by now. Uh, 15 minutes? I can pay attention for about two if it's really interesting. I think I've got about two. Yeah, that might get me to four. I think there's like, uh, you can read the the script as well or the captions if you want. But uh, yeah, I guess guess not Eric, but you know, there are others. I like watching them, you know. It's uh, first thing in the morning. I always like to go through the news and just catch up on things. That's something yeah. that I would do while I'm drinking my coffee and just getting into the day. And you get yeah, ideas. Yeah, I'm like skipping too. all over the place. And anyway, okay. Exactly. So RSA is on next year. We don't know how it was this year, but the material will release if anybody's interested at some point in the next sixty days or so. Yes, it happened. So it did happen. We confirmed that. Anything else before we wrap the show? I I, I got to tell you, I just love talking to you. This was a good one. I know, one. this was fun. Well, did you want to get on double extortion or do we not have time for that today? Oh, you mean Colonial Pipeline? Yeah, they paid, I mean, what, did, what did they, real quick, what did they pay? 4.4 or 4.1 million? I've seen both numbers. I well, You know, that's a great question. I wonder if it's based on the fluctuating value of Bitcoin at any point in time. Does that change how much they paid? No, is, I think it's probably a misunderstanding. So, okay. <laughs> so Darkside disappeared with everybody's money. With everybody's the, money, yes. The encryptor didn't work so well, or the decryptor, I guess, right? So encrypts quickly, decrypts too slowly. So they had to restore yep. from backup. And uh, yeah, double extortion, right? I, I think one thing that when I talk to lay people in the industry, they're like, oh, that ransomware, that's so bad. You, you could lose access to your data and then you have to pay, you have to pay people to get it back. What people really miss is, oh, and the ransomware hostage takers, right? The the terrorists, the, whatever you want to call right, them, right? right? The, the bad guys and gals, they've got your data and they can go sell that data also. Exactly. It's all about money, right? Right. It's, it's not all just selling control to your accessibility of the data, but they actually, in many cases, take your data and they will sell it on the black market. Is that called like and, double dipping? I don't know. What do you, is there a term Yeah, I mean, well, in the industry, we're calling it double extortion these days, right? I got you, I lock your data up and then I'm going to charge, I can also charge you for, I, I can charge you for me not selling your data in the black market. But right? are but, there any guarantees that that doesn't happen even if you pay? 
we're dealing with criminal enterprises. Are there any guarantees? I mean, uh, I mean that's what really are the guarantees point. in life? You're guaranteed to die at some point, and uh, that's about it. So like, no, there's no guarantees. It sounds like there's a ransomware gang court, though, like <laughs> a ransomware court of law. Um, you know, where where Darkside got called up amongst these, uh, I guess, their affiliates, and they didn't pay. And so it's interesting to to see that at least they do kind of um, police their own, if you will. Um, and I maybe that's uh-huh. why Darkside went dark. I don't know. I think it's very loose. My wife and I are watching Godfather of Harlem right now. Oh, nice. And you can see the Italian mobsters back in the in the 50s and 60s, you know, they're aligned and they're for each other, but they'll they'll screw the other the other uh, family Absolutely. over if they can get away with it or think they can. I, I think we got the same same thing here in the criminal world. Right. You know, you're you're your best friends until somebody better comes along, some better exactly. opportunity. Yeah, and I I wouldn't I wouldn't rely a whole lot on uh, any kind of integrity or rules of the land to hold fast. That's just my personal opinion. Maybe they're very honorable thieves. I don't know. You know, I I don't know, but I, I just thought it was really interesting to read that, you know, they, they do kind of have their own kind of court of ransomware gang law uh, where they com- commune together and, and uh, you know, try to bring people to justice and, and get what they're owed. So that was... That was interesting. I guess every business enterprise has that though, right? Something's better than nothing. I wouldn't count on criminal law in this case being, you know, the criminals enforcing their own code of conduct. I I don't know. They're gone for now. I guarantee we see them back in some shape or form later. Ransomware is doing nothing but growing as we've talked about. But at least to end the show on a positive note. Petroleum's pumping, right? We've got oil, we've got gas. The American people forgot about Colonial Pipeline in yes. this in this case, and we're good to go. Everything's good, right? Nothing happened. Exactly. Couple million dollars, little I bit of little drive. bit of time. I'm ready to drive next weekend and you know pump my car full of gas and not be worried that I, I won't have enough to get to my destination. That's well, that's you a have nice a feeling. you have a great vacation. Don't worry about <laughs> the you. gas, but you know ransomware hits something else you may need at some point. We'll see. Hopefully, you get away with it. And uh, I think it was a great episode. Thank you. Yes. Thanks yes. for just talking. I know. Let's do this more often. This is a lot of fun. We should do this in person now that we're both vaccinated here in the near future. That would be awesome. Beats yeah. the Zoom. It does. It really does. All right. So for all of our our listeners out there, again, don't forget to subscribe. Pound the subscription button so you can get a fresh episode to your email inbox every Give us single week. And feedback. We love the feedback all day long. Um, Topics, guests, you name it. We're open to everything that you have to give us. Um, So until next week. uh, Adios. That's right. Stay safe. Thanks, Rachel. (laughs) Thanks, Eric. That was fun. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. 